Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network, and that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer for the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we have a really exciting and full program today. Um, our first guest is joining us from Trinidad, Tobago, Uh, to talk about the Maroon Gathering, which is coming up this month, which I don't want you to miss. It's going to be virtual, so you don't have to travel to that uh, town. Um, And uh, Sister Akila is joining us right now. So let's uh, welcome her into the studio. Oh, no, the call just dropped. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Well, uh, Sister Akila... I'll read her, her bio while we wait for her to uh, for the connection to get stable. She's in the forest right now. She's a forester. Um, Jara Mangi is her last name, and she's a forester, environmental consultant, social entrepreneur, and cultural activist. She is the co-founder and CEO of. Oh, here she is. She can't we pronounce some of these terms. <laughs> oh, good morning, Sister Keila. Thank you. Hey. Yes, still morning. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad the phone was working in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pleasant. Good morning, sister. Good morning. Good morning. So I was reading your bio while we waited for your telephone line to get a little stable. So I was just telling our audience that um, that you are um, co-founder and CEO of the is it Fondus or Fonds? How do you pronounce that? Foreign Simon Community Reforestation Project. Yeah, in St. Anne's, Trinidad, and Tobago. Uh, Tobago, yeah. and you are your um, the owner and designer of your own um, jewelry company, Aquila's Jewelry. And yeah, you're a proud American, and you have to tell us what that means. American descendant, <laughs> and um, how do you pronounce your last name? You, when you listen to this, you're going to say, "Oh, she really killed it." Um, how do you say your last Jaramuki. name? Jaramuki. Jaramuki. Oh, I really. Jaramuki. Yeah, I didn't say it right. Uh, Ms. Jaramuki is the co-founder and past president and CEO of the American Heritage Foundation, and for over a decade. You and members of the American Heritage Foundation in Trinidad and Tobago 
have been championing the cause for recognition of Trinidad American Maroons at home, the Caribbean and the world. And you're also director on the board of the Maroon Women's Chambers of uh, of Cooperation. And you coordinated the delegation of Maroons in the uh, Caribbean and North America to attend the UN 18th session permanent forum on indigenous issues. And on Friday, uh, the 15th of March, 2019, uh, you were appointed the first American Maroon Paramount Chief by the Office of, is it Gama? Gama, yes. Gama of, yeah, Jamaican Maroons Nation. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. As as an environmentalist, you were the recipient of Trinidad's highest humanitarian honor, the Hummingbird Gold Medal Award on behalf of your organization, um, uh, the mm, Yeah, tell us the name of your organization. Oh, the Fonsamon Fonsamon uh, Community Reforestation Project. Project, right. I mean, you gave us acronym, but I wanted you to say it. <laughs> You're also <laughs> trustee on the board of ASA, Right Nature Center. Uh, that's Issa Right, Issa Right Nature Center. Uh-huh. Yes, and, uh huh. And is it in uh, Arima or how do you pronounce it? Yes, that? that's in the Arima Valley in Trinidad. Okay. And your passion for ecological sustainability and nature um, is rooted in your work of your ancestors living off the land in the company villages. Um, and you've got a whole lot of other awards. What's your website? Um, our website is um, you can check in at uh, um, org. Okay, well, that's easy. So a uh, f a c r p is the um, dot yes, o r g. Yeah, the acronym. Mm-hmm, yeah, the acronym. We exactly. Are, you can find us on Facebook and and, mm-hmm. and all the other social platforms. You know. Um, yeah. Okay. Instagram. So we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What brings us uh, to this wonderful um, first meeting and. Um, because I actually, um, as a member of the um, um, the um, International Coalition for the Commemoration of African Ancestors of the Middle Passage, um, you sent in a video of the, the Americans, um, uh, and I had never heard of the Americans prior to 2019, and, mm-hmm. no, 2020, 2020. And, um, yeah, yeah, because, you know, our friend Yuri, um, uh, is a is a member of of uh, ICAMP and as well as you know one of the founding members of Adasi, and and you know she's your sister friend because she's also from Trinidad Tobago. <laughs> yeah. And so when yeah. I saw yeah. when I saw the flyer about the maroon gathering and and you know we know about maroons but never heard about the Americans, I'm like, ooh, I want to talk <laughs> to Sister Akila. And so here you are. So tell us about about the uh, the maroon gathering, when it is, how people can get, you know, come, because it's virtual, as I mentioned to our audience. And then just tell us about the American history. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, and hopefully we could do this again, have another conversation, so you don't have to try to get it all in at one time. But, you know, get in as much Thank as you can. I'll stop talking and let you talk. 
Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. And first, I give thanks, as I say, I also ask for the permission from my elders and my ancestors to speak on their behalf this day, as I give thanks and I offer healing by ways of the Supreme Being to all spiritual levels from those ancestors who were badly treated, who were abused, afflicted, deceived, enslaved, hated, lonely, misguided, neglected, oppressed. Oh, I give thanks and I, as I pour libation for all the elders who were pained and saddened and traumatized and died tragically during the Middle Passage. As we talk on behalf of our ancestors this day, I give thanks for this opportunity. As I say, motupe, motupe, motupe. So yes, it's the Wanda, the Americans. <laughs> the Americans, uh, I'm a proud descendant of the Americans. The Americans are African-Americans, enslaved Africans who fought for their freedom, enslaved Africans who were taken from Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Senegal, Ivory Coast, Congo, Benin, and brought to North America on plantations. And throughout the Americas, Virginia, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, and other parts. And they are the Maroons of North America who ran away from plantations and hid in the swamps and along the shorelines during the War of 1812, during that period between 1810 and 1812. And some of them decided to fight on the side of the British, and the British and America was at war. However, fighting on the side of the British was a bargain for their freedom to get out of America. And even though Britain ended up losing the war, they held on to that bargain. So at the end of the war in 1816, the Africans who fought on the side of the British were then sent to Bermuda, where they were offered to fight again on the side of the British, and they said, no, they want the bargain of being taken out of America to the freedom. So, leaving Bermuda, they sent them to Halifax in Canada, and then to South Trinidad. So those of you who are listening and familiar with Trinidad, you would hear about New Grant and hard bargain, and Indian work, and first company, and second company, and third company, and fourth, fifth, and sixth company. And these areas were named after the batch of soldiers. So the first batch of soldiers that came to Trinidad from Halifax in Canada, the first batch of soldiers settled in a place called Hindustan, now known as Devil's Wood Yard. And if you visit where the volcano is, 
you would see there's a sign marked first company. And that's where the first company of soldiers settled. They were helped by the Waro Indians from Venezuela who lived in Baruga. The Waro Indians helped to clear land and welcome us. So that's where the first batch of soldiers settled. And then the second batch of soldiers settled around Pity Cafe, Matilda area there in South Trinidad, close to the first company. And then you have the third company on the Maruga Road. And then the fourth company went over to a place called Williamsville. But first it was called Hard Bargain, mainly because the soldiers, the African soldiers that settled there, did not like what they got, did not like the quality of land, and did not like the agreement, were not satisfied with the agreement. So they called the area Hard Bargain. So that's where they settled anyhow. And um, so you find an area called Fort Company, now known as Hard Bargain. And then the fifth company of soldiers settled on the Indian Walk Road going to Moruga. So you'll find the fifth company of soldiers there. So that area is fifth. And you'll hear about Papaniza, the great healer, or the Obia man, when you talk about going to Trinidad and one of the greatest healer, that's Papaniza, and he's from the fifth company of soldiers. And the largest company of soldiers settled in sixth company. And that's simply because that was the last batch leaving the U.S., heading to Bermuda and then Halifax. So whether you fought on the side of the British or not, history shows that the batch of soldiers and their relatives and others forced themselves on the British ship to get out. It was like exodus, you know. And, um, and that's the story of the Americans. And here we are in Trinidad, surviving, you know, still surviving as descendants of the Maroons of North America. And I'm a proud descendant of the Elliot clan, which is the clan of Papaniza, and also the heirs, and you would hear a lot more of the names that settled. So when you have relatives in South Trinidad, or if you are from South Trinidad and you are listening on, you would hear names like Andrews and Ayres and Atwater and Cole and Cooper and Cummings and Bailey and Blackwell and Braxton and Burton and Dixon and Dunmore and Dunton and Elliot and Floyd and Foreman and Fortune and Gibson, Hamilton, Hudlin, Hills, Jackson, McLeod, McVille, McNish, Loney, Mitchell, Ransom, Richardson, Sambury, Shields, Saunders, Seaton, Smith, Taylor, Teasdale, Thompson, Webb, Weston, and Woods. We have more on that list, but another time I will share with you all. But these are some of the popular names you will find in the company villages. And here we are. We have survived this. We have helped build Trinidad. Because when we came here, we came just in open virgin forest. And my ancestors worked hard to help build Trinidad and build the company villages to what it is today. So this is a little bit about Americans. Wow. You know, so we really are, um, you know, one people. Um, you know, that this is a, this is pretty amazing. So, so when you talk about the Maroons, um, 
what does it mean, um, you know, maroon society, and and what's going to be happening, um, you know, at the uh, the virtual conference? Okay, so the the conference will be both virtual and live. It will be a hybrid okay. of both virtual and live. Um, mm-hmm. Because what it is, we have to really, you know, connect with the elders, connect with the ancestors. And we choose Dominica because Dominica is second to Jamaica in Maroon and Marinage. And they said, why Dominica? Again, Dominica is second to Jamaica in terms of sustained armed resistance to enslavement. You know, and um, so therefore we pay homage to those ancestors, you know, from Dominica, again, because they are the ones who who stood up, you know, against the British and the French and the Spanish and all those, you know, colonizers in the Caribbean here in Dominica. And um, it was a big struggle for them. It was not easy. And they set up camps, and, and about 14 camps in the hills of Dominica in those early days. And what happened is that a lot of runaway slaves from, a lot of runaway enslaved people <laughs> from, from, from Guadeloupe and Matnique and St. Vincent and St. Lucia seek refuge around the maroon camps in Dominica. They hid among some of the greatest fighters and heroes like Bella, Farcel, Congore, Cicero, Jaco, and Kwashi from Dominica. When you hear those names of these ancestors, they were the ones who fearlessly stood up against those colonizers, you know, fearlessly stood up against the slave masters where they raid camps, raid, raid estates and, you know, retrieve their loved ones, burn down their states, you know. Um, and yeah, that's why we are celebrating in Dominica. But most of all, we are calling on countries where maroon communities exist in the Caribbean. But as you know it, everywhere there was slavery, of course, there would have been maroons because our people did not just subject ourselves to slavery a lot of us resisted. A lot of our ancestors resisted. So wherever there were plantations, you must have found there would have been maroons around. So again, we are calling and inviting countries. Um, you know, we have our brothers and sisters from Jamaica and Suriname, and I'll tell you a little bit about how this came about. We are also inviting brothers and sisters from Barbados and St. Vincent and St. Lucia and Grenada and Carriacou, um, Trinidad and Tobago as well, where we have Matnik and Guadeloupe and Dominica um, being the host country. We are also inviting the Seminoles from North America and my queen sister, Queen Kwet Gula Gucci, and the team from, again, from North America. We are also, we will be having our brothers from Sierra Leone, brothers and sisters from Sierra Leone, and having greetings from Nigeria, our homeland, and South Africa. So this is the kind of circle that we are creating to sensitize our people, to sensitize our African brothers and sisters, you know, to be conscious of who they are, conscious of where we want to be, and come together to create a mission statement to seek indigenous people's status for all Maroons of the diaspora as we prepare to go back to the UN in 2022. 
And I say go back to the UN so the conversation will continue. Why are you going back? Why did you go there? <laughs> well, you know, this one is a long piece of history. But, uh, you know, um, this is the mission that we are taking right now, mobilizing our people, building awareness, you know, and coming up with common visions and goals that we can collectively work to empower our Caribbean brothers and sisters, you know, in this time. So, again, enough work, a lot of work to be done, but we are doing it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So, so how do people? Because um, I, when I went to the website um, for the organization um, FACRP, RP. I yeah. didn't, I didn't see the org right. I, I've linked to it um, in the description of the program. Uh, people are at the website for. Um, no, we don't have the, the maroon yeah. maroon information on the website. You'll more find it on my Facebook page, Akila Jaramugi. Okay. It on the Facebook page, and some of our members, you know, um, have been sharing it on the page as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, we we personally don't have a website for our maroon, um, maroons of the diaspora yet, but uh, soon come, you know. But for those who need information, they can also um, send an email, you know, to CaribbeanMaroonWomen at gmail.com. You know, and um, they can contact me directly, and um, or even Sister Eureka and um, others who are closely linked with us. We'll keep sharing information as we can, as the countdown grow closer and closer. Because our event is from the 12th to the 16th of November, and uh, it will be held at Jungle Bay Resort um, in Dominica. That's where the main engine room will be, <laughs> you know. But again, we'll be connecting with our brothers and sisters all around the globe. Yeah, the gathering yeah. will also be the gathering will also be focusing on some serious pillars like uh, Kampale, you know, where we gather in the name of our ancestors, Ujima. We work for the upliftment of all, Gayap. You know, we are stronger together, working together for a positive cause. Mbungi, we gather to learn from each other. And liberty, we respect the forces of nature. So again, these are some of the pillars that we will, that our conversation will be based around, you know, sharing stories and empowering each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us um, what it's like there um, in Trinidad, Tobago. Presently, um, uh, you know, we we're in a pandemic, and so how how are people doing? And 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 then maybe tell us a little bit about about yourself and how you became, um, you know, so I mean, I guess seeped in uh, environmental concerns and and the land. I mean, I, I've I've never been to Trinidad, Tobago. I've been to Jamaica. Um, okay. I've been to Haiti. Um, but um, from I have I have a friend um, Val Sarant, who's um, uh, from Trinidad, Tobago. He's um, really wonderful person, and it just sounds like you know just from the way that you open, you know, honoring the ancestors. It it seems as if um, you all are really rooted still in our African culture in a way that 
some of us in the diaspora are not connected because of you know our ancestors being uh, enslaved and and taken away from from our our original culture. So if you could talk a little bit about sort of what it looks like there, how the people are doing, and and a little bit more about you. Okay. Um, first, I must say Trinidad and Tobago. Um, we are still under lockdown for the pandemic. Um, you know, but a lot of awareness is happening. Um, cases have dropped tremendously. So we are doing a little better, but still we keep we have to keep, you know, um, under this whole COVID com- compliance lifestyle, you know, wear your mask and continue the, as best as continue as best as you can to keep yourself safe and keep your family safe. A lot of people in Trinidad again use their bush medicine and so on, you know, to deal with this as well. So uh, we tap into some of our traditional knowledge and traditional ways of healing, you know, and um, we have had a, a fairly high um, number of persons being vaccinated and stuff, and those who are not are the ones who hold on to some of their traditional ways of healing and keeping themselves healthy, you know. So that's the case in terms of the pandemic in Trinidad, but we continue to comply to directions, you know, social distancing, yeah, you know, you be careful, you wash your hands, you wear your mask when you, you know, need to, you know, because even as my workers way out in the forest and they're far from each other, they can breathe freely without the mask, but when they regroup, you know, they will all put on their masks and so on, so so, you know, we are trying to, to understand this whole pandemic and try to keep ourselves safe because the whole thing is about the secret to longevity, how we can live long, how we can keep ourselves healthy and, and, and you know, not in grief and sadness and pain when you lose loved ones, you know. So that's the situation there. For me, um, being who I am, Akila Taliba Jaramugi, I choose to change my name because you know, I see myself as, you know, a true African, true black, you know, with black identity. And um, I am proud to say that being, my ancestors being here in 1816, while, you know, um, slavery was still existing, where some of my African brothers and sisters were still enslaved, we were settled in the company villages in South Trinidad as free blacks. And growing up as a child in the company villages and hearing my parents and them, you know, talk about, you know, this freedom, how, how you know, they are Americans. They are, you know, they they, are, they didn't come to Trinidad as, as slaves. So they always create employment for themselves, you know, and their families and their loved ones. And, um, and even up to today, you find a lot of Americans still are, teachers and preachers and healers and nurses and, and, and farmers and, and artists and, and artists and Californians and stick fighters. And so we were able to still, you know, keep that heritage, that cultural heritage alive and, and celebrate what we came here with. So, um, and among that were a high number of Yoruba settlers as well that settled in the third and fifth company in South Trinidad. And there they came with the Yoruba 
you know, um, cultural way of life. And so you would find Orisha still exists in Trinidad. And even though it was practiced on the law in the early years before emancipation, pre-emancipation period, after emancipation, they felt a little more free to come out and, you know, practice out in the open. And today, you know, we have a really strong Orisha community throughout Trinidad and Tobago, and um, it's growing, it's growing, and I give thanks. I think it's one of the, it, it, it is a really, really, really um, positive thing to see now our Orisha community and where we can truly understand, you know, before the Christ and all the stuff, or before Christianity and so on, you know, the pathway of our ancestors. And this is what we embrace and we celebrate, you know, and I give thanks for that, uh, why I am in the forest here is because of what I saw my ancestors doing. They respected the land, they respected the forest, and they, saw the, they, they treat the forest as sacred. Forest where the ancestors dwell, the forest where the Orishas dwell, the forest where the gods exist. And as we celebrate Mama Lata, Mama Onile, you know, we continue to celebrate, you know, all the ancestors. And it's by keeping the forest healthy, keeping clean water, not just to sustain us, but the ancestors, appease the ancestors. And so reason I see it as my responsibility to care for the forest and pass on this traditional way of life and practice to the next generation. Outside of that, you know, I see the environment as something that we need to take seriously. We need to have as one of our main agenda all over the world, you know, caring for the environment is something that we should not take lightly. Looking at climate change and all the, the negative effects around climate change, you know, we have to take this as, you know, one of our main agenda, put it at top, 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 top the agenda, you know, clean water, clean air, you know, medicine, all that the forest and the natural environment provides for us. This is what we have to keep as, you know, something that, you know, of paramount importance and and, um, and the reason why I choose to live this life caring for the environment and empowering others to continue to take charge and take care of their natural environment. Yes, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much um, for joining us to talk about, um, you know, your work um, and and about the Americans. Um, it's just really a pleasure to speak to you after after watching you in the, uh, in the video because we, we played it again um, this year when we had our <clears throat> international libations for African ancestors, libations and prayers for African ancestors. Um in in June, um, and so so it was, it's it's right. It's a real place. Almost like you know, <clears throat> you're like a rock star, right? Because I've been I watched the video, <laughs> and then I watched the video, and I you know just just love that history. It was just so fascinating, and I'm really looking forward to um, to the gathering next month. Um, that's going to be it's really important, and um, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. So we will definitely have more conversations, um, you know, leading up to this great event. And I linked to your Facebook, and I linked to your organization. How do you pronounce it again? Kwanzaa Community Reforestation Project. 
Right, and the acronym um, F A C R P. And uh, also we have, mm-hmm. yes, and also we have our sister Mama G, um, Gaman Mama G from Jamaica. She's one in, you know, was part of this whole movement of uniting Maroons of the diaspora, and Ambassador Fidelia Grand Galon from Suriname. You know, again another strong sister who you know mobilized Maroons around the diaspora to take this case to the UN and you know so we have a lot of strong sisters and brothers and also we pay homage to the first peoples you know um all those brothers and sisters from the from the Garifuna and the Kalinago and and you know the other groups um Taino all the brothers and sisters who continue to work with us who experience the same trauma we give thanks for them being with us at this gathering and ongoing struggles that they stand up and support the cause together with us. I give thanks. Well, excellent. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you again so much, and we definitely look forward to continuing this conversation. You take good care. Blessings. Bless up. Thank right, you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Ah, good morning. Um, I believe... Um, uh, Kubaka, um, Michael Harris, I believe you're um, you're joining us as well as um, uh, as Carmen uh, Setness, Community Outreach Coordinator for San Joaquin Regional Rail Commission. Yes. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. <laughs> okay. Good morning. Just just checking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sasha Briscoe, um, statewide president for Allensworth. Friends hasn't joined us yet, but it's really, really exciting, um, you know, the rededication coming up um, this Saturday. And um, so maybe, um, uh, Carmen, maybe you could make the, uh, you know, tell, tell our audience about the rededication and about the special, um, you know, uh, stops that are being added so that people can get to this historic um City now um, national was what is it regional is a national park um, uh, state historic park. Yeah, of course. Um, um, thank you. Yes, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Thank you for having me on this morning. This is exciting. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, so the San Joaquin's train is running special trains to the town of Allensworth. It's a um, historical town. Um, that was established by Colonel Allen Allensworth, who was born into slavery in Kentucky and um, was served in the Army, um, later became a uh, 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 Baptist um, preacher, I believe, and then established this town with four other settlers. And this is kind of like a little... um, Utopia where black people could um, live freely with great edu- learn education, start their own businesses, stores, um, just have this own little town that they could thrive in. And so what the San Joaquins wanted to do is we wanted to run a special train, train to this stop on October 9th. And we have special discounts going on our tickets. They are 50% off. And... We've also let people add additional discounts on top of that. 
to save savings um, because this event is really great. It is when you go there. It's like taking a step back in time. It's like a celebration when you get there. It's like being at a huge family reunion. There's music, entertainment. Um, you can bring your kids, your family. You can even bring bikes if you want and ride around at the park to check out the different buildings and um, get firsthand knowledge from the docents that tell you, you know, who lived in those buildings, what they were for. Um, it's a really great experience. And we have trains and buses running from the Bay Area from Oakland. Um, so if you live in that area, you can catch one of our throughway buses from Oakland and book online at Amtrak, AmtrakSanJuanKings.com. And then you can hop on our train and get to the park um, shortly after it opens around 10 55 a.m. And then if you'd like, you can stay a couple hours. You can can stay all the way until the park closes at 5 and catch one of our later trains back home. Um, but we really wanted people to just take advantage of this opportunity to get out there and um, see this lovely town. It's like this little hidden gem in the, in the San Joaquin Valley. Right. Thank you. Thank you. And... Um, uh, Kubaka, um, I think you're going to have to represent for France because, yeah, and and you're no you're no stranger um, to the air. Um, uh, you have um, for 15 years you've served. So you're a native of Sacramento, California. You serve as chief executive officer, California Black Agriculture Working Group, a global multidisciplinary collaborative providing tangible action plans to increase the number and full participation of urban, rural, and global agriculture producers of African descent throughout all aspects of the $333 billion annual California working landscape. And uh, for over 15 years, you served as development director for California Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association. And for five years, you served as a member of the USDA Community-Based Organization Partners Team. And during 2004 to 2008, you served as the Urban Agriculture Representative on the Flood, on the excuse me, on the Flood, sorry, on the Food and Farm Policy Diversity Initiation Team, highlighting successful urban agriculture outcomes during negotiations leading up to the creation of the 2008 Food and Energy Act. Um, and uh, you currently serve as project manager for Carson Creek Ranch Food and Agriculture Research Center, cultivating global collaborative partners to support black agriculture. Um, and you, your organization plans to develop Carson Creek Ranch Food and Agriculture Center into a world class facility that nurtures job creation, technical education, career advancements in agriculture, economic development throughout California, nationally and throughout the Pan African diaspora. And for me, you are just like, you know, the go to person for black history <laughs> in California specifically because you are, you know, you're a veteran, but you're also, you know, really um, rooted in uh, uplifting the um, the heritage of of uh indigenous african um californians and so um with that in mind i wanted you to talk to us about uh colonel allen allensworth and and those men that got together i don't know how many years ago now to yeah. to develop this town um because they were they were looking for a place 
you know, as um, Carmen mentioned, where they could not be harassed as black men, you know, formerly enslaved, because there was, there was a lot of racism and, and bigotry that we see evidence of even today, you know, towards, you know, black autonomy and and uh, agency. Yes, ma'am. I mean, yeah, and, and I thank you for uh, reaching out. Uh, and the elder teachers say, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So, you know, <laughs> a, a day notice is enough because we stay ready. The The idea that black agriculture in California is still under uh, wicked demonic attack. And the town of Allensworth is just one of many examples. The notion that it's the only African American is just not African American town is just not reality. The if you look at the eighteenth century, nineteenth century, twentieth century, and black folks yearning to be free when this was Spain, when this was Mexico, and then after the Civil War when uh you know when California became a state in 1850, uh, there were black towns. And uh, Allensworth was not on the map because, you know, the Buffalo Soldiers, which Allensworth was, he was in the Navy. He was not in the Army uh, during the Civil War. He was in the Navy. And then after the Civil War, uh, he petitioned the United States uh, government to become a chaplain as part of the Buffalo Soldiers. Uh, And that's long after the Civil War. And I'm saying long after, meaning, you know, like 20 years after he had a wife and kids. So so the idea that Allensworth is, you know, uh, stands alone by itself, well, you have to put a timeline to it. So now we're talking about 1908, 1912, when it actually uh, is flourishing. And again, it's an agricultural economy base. And again, yes, it was, you know, founded, designed as a colony uh, by Buffalo soldiers. And it wasn't just Alan Allensworth. He was the leader, but he wasn't by himself by no means. Uh, there were uh, educators. There were doctors. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Payne. He was the teacher of teachers. And he ran a school, or he was a professor of a school in West Virginia, I believe. So, yeah, there, there's a plethora of opportunities to learn about uh, the agricultural economies uh, while you're going down the train through the Central Valley, because by no means was uh, Alan Worth the only one. There were <laughs> many of them. Uh, professor Isinger down there in Fresno, he's probably – uh, one of the strongest uh, source experts uh, simply because he lives down there and he's able to, like, go places that uh, <laughs> a lot of people of African descent can't go because there's still, uh, I will say, difficult uh, relations down in Tulare County, down in South Fresno County. Uh, they just don't want black folks owning land and producing and being part of the $333 billion working landscape, which is the number one ag economy of California. 
but that's a mouthful. But specifically for <laughs> Allensworth, I believe that uh, it is worthy <laughs> of a great acknowledgement for what it is. It, it was a race mm-hmm. colony that was established by Buffalo soldiers uh, mm-hmm. in 1912. And the state of California, uh, the legislature, this is 1912 now, the state of California legislature would not, you know, tolerate the notion of a, a Tuskegee of the West. So they, you know, voted it down. And it hasn't been reconsidered uh uh, uh, assembly member Merv Dimely, he tried. The current uh, uh, California Legislative Black Caucus is not ready to take it on yet, but I believe once the reparation hearings come out, why won't we have a place to, like, create vocational education in the number one ag industry in America for black folks, which is what they attempted to do in 1912? Yeah, well, thank you, Kabaka. I think um, Sasha has joined us. Um, Ms. Briscoe, is that you? It is. I'm so sorry. Oh, awesome, awesome. <laughs> so, so we're playing tag team. So Kabaka, you know, kicked it off. Um, and, and you as the um, president of the Friends of Allensworth um, and a member since uh, 2016, your statewide president, that is, uh, since 2018, um, we'd like you to talk, uh, you know, about some of these founding families and tell us about what's going to be happening this Saturday at the um, rededication. Um, you are a prior restaurant and elderly care facility owner in Bakersfield, California, and you and your husband were foster parents for over 20 years, fostering infants to teens while serving as president of the Kern County Foster Parents Association for 10 years. And prior to that, you were a law enforcement officer in Illinois during the 80s. And just want to give you, you know, uh, much kudos for um, you and your husband for being foster care parents because um, that's truly a labor of love when you do it right. So thank you for taking care of our babies. Oh, you're welcome. So the event this Saturday, we are so excited to be back in the park. We've been out for COVID for a year and a half, so we're back. Um, so we have great things planned. Um, a lot of people attending. Um, this is where we come together at the end of the year and we rededicate ourselves to protecting and sharing the history of Alice's work and the people who came there from near and far um, to live in peace and have economic opportunities and to be free from discrimination and Jim Crow laws and oppression and it was it was a great place to live, so it didn't survive as the colonel wanted. So now it's a state park, so this is a time of year that we rededicate ourselves to um, preserving the history of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us about some of those um, those first families, and are any of them going to be present? Um, I don't know if, if our listeners have ever been to Allensworth um, uh, State Park, but it's it's you know these are original buildings and and the tours are with people in period clothing and so you go into like the um, the general store and you see the general store and, and you talk to someone who is dressed as you know one of the proprietors might have dressed and you go into these houses and the library and mm-hmm. the schoolhouse um, and you actually get a you get like you're stepping into this history. Uh, which is really Correct. beautiful. 
Yeah, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of those founding families and if, you know, if any of them are still with us, you know, uh, people that actually went to these schools. And if not, because um, I, and maybe tell us a little bit about how, when was the, you know, I'm trying to remember, I don't remember when the town ceased to be a town and people ended up having to move out because there was no water, um, uh, but they didn't move far away. Well, once the water crisis happened and Colonel was killed and the train stop was moved from Alliceworth to Alpaw, the town started to slowly decline. The um, high school kids who graduated high school went out of town for college. Most of them did not return because now the economic opportunities had lessened. Um, so they did not come back. Some of the older people slowly started to move away. They ended up going south and north to the Bay Area and south to L.A., Long Beach area. And so the buildings, the town basically started to decline. So State Park purchased it. When you go in, drive into Allensworth now, it's really set up for the time period between 1908 and 1918. And so most of the buildings are there that would, were, would have been there at that time. And... Um, but things happened before and after 1918. That's just the period of time that State Park chooses to discuss at the park. So it was people actually lived there until mm, like the 70s, and then it it really started to decline. And then State Park purchased a part of the land that the colonel had purchased. So then what's left of the town of Allensburg sits next door just south of the park. So there are people who still live in the actual town of Ellsworth. They're mostly uh, migrant, Hispanic workers. Um, there's the three African-Americans. Normally at our event, we, especially for the October event, we would have Mrs. Singleton. Her mom and dad owned the Singleton store that we now use for our gift shop. Um, she comes out sometimes in October, but she's elderly now, and so I don't think she's coming out this October. Um, Mrs. Tripp just passed away. Her mother grew up in Allensworth, uh, so she used to be out there all the time, just in period attire, telling the story about Allensworth and the story she got from her mom and her time at Allensworth. So we, she just passed a few weeks ago. Um, let's see. Mm. Now, oh, there wow, are a few weeks ago. Oh, my. Yes. Hmm. So we there are, like, the Pope family, um, the uh, Piero family, they all moved to Allensworth like in the 40s and 50s. So they grew up in Allensworth. So Mrs. Um, Piero, Gloria Piero, wrote a book about her time in Allensworth as a child. Um, yeah. family. Piero, those people are still around. So they, normally some of them are at the event. So Mrs. Piero, Gloria Piero, wrote a book about her time in Allensworth. See, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing like, I don't know if it's an echo or or something. Um, That's what I'm hearing. It's like I've already said that, and then I hear it. I, yeah, I know. That's kind of weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Continue. Oh, okay. So um, the Pierros, some of them will probably be at the park, and some of the um, John Pope, um, uh, Mr. Pope, was the reason that the town, that what was left of Allensworth actually became a state park. He petitioned State Park to turn it into 
a uh, historic part. And at that time, uh, President Reagan was president, and he signed um, that Allensworth could become a state historic park. So we always give praises to Mr. Cornelius Pope, because if it wasn't for him, there would probably be no Allensworth State Historic Park. Um, Mrs. Nettie Morrison uh, came, moved to Allensworth, I believe, during the time they had, right after they had the 100th year celebration. Her and her husband moved to Allensworth, and she kind of became the unofficial mayor of Allensworth. Uh, she was the first president of the Friends of Allensworth, um, just great worker. She was there during the time when they wanted to put the dairy across the street from Allensworth, and she gathered the people from the north and the south. They came down to Tulare County, and they went and they said, no, we, there would not be a dairy across the street from Allensworth. So the elderly people fought desperately to save Allensworth from the dairy. They won. So it's just a great place. You know, I encourage everyone to just come out and just go back in time and look at the buildings, hear the stories, and just have a great day at the park. It's just it's a great place to come and remember what our ancestors endured, yet in spite of they they came together and they made this town work. Mhm. Yes. Yeah, so true. So true. Um. I was wondering, um, uh, Carmen, do you want to give the details again about this, these trains and buses that are going to be taking people um, to um, the uh, Allensworth um, Historic uh, State Park on Saturday? Definitely. Like what, what yeah. are the earliest trains, you know, so that people can get there at 10, let's say somebody coming from Oakland, um, I believe probably from the Jack London Square um, mm-hmm. uh, train station. What time would they need to be on the train to get there for eight for ten o'clock? Yeah, so um, folks can visit us at AmtraksanJuanKings.com, and they can click on our promotions tab for more information. Um, and they can definitely book their trip if they're coming from the Bay Area. We did um, we do have a bus that people can catch in Oakland at Jack London Square. Um, it is an early early trip. So that that bus, I believe, leaves at 4.30 a.m., and um, you'll take the train. You'll connect with our train, and that will put you at the park around 10.55 a.m. That's if you're coming from the Bay Area. If you're coming from Sacramento, um, you'll probably take um, train 702, which leaves around 7 a.m., and that will put you at the park um, around 10.55 a.m. Okay. Awesome. And our tickets are 50% off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great, great. And how how safe is it now um, to take uh, the train or the bus, um, you know, since we are in a pandemic and some people maybe might not feel comfortable um, uh, mm-hmm. being in, in congregation. So how how um, uh, how is Amtrak, you know, trying to, um, you know, make sure that the passengers stay healthy? Of course, we definitely want our riders to um, feel comfortable while on our service. Um, masks are still required while on board. Um, and there's also a great feature on the mobile app, if you choose to go paperless, that shows you um, the train capacity. If your train's 50%, 15% full, 
20%, 50%. It kind of gives you an idea of what to expect. And our trains all are always disinfected. They get cleaned. Um, our conductors on board wear face masks. Um, we do encourage social distancing. Um, but if you come in a group, you'll stay with your group, of course. But that's still one of our number one priorities. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. Um, Brother Kubaka, um, you wanted to let folks know about um, uh, an event coming up as well that's connected to uh, black agriculture. Well, well yeah. It's, um, well, the entire month of October is Farmer and Farm Worker Month, and this is part of the California Grown uh, brand with the California Department of Food and Agriculture. And Allensworth, I mean, it's not clear to most people because they don't understand the history, don't want to look around the community uh, in the valley and see the largest agricultural counties in America, you know, $333 billion working landscape. And the, the town Allensworth was an agricultural economy. And it's not in production today because of the limiting, uh, the current limiting uh, vision of the state parks will not allow agricultural production in a town that was agriculture town. Uh, and that's a political decision. And, you know, nobody on this call can make that. But the idea that we're going to have in Fresno a black land law summit tied to what is currently happening in the world is how do we deal with agricultural production in a equitable and an inclusive way. So here in California, we're less than one-third of 1% 1 of the agricultural uh, ag producers for the very reason the town was destroyed, Allensworth. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't just Allensworth. It's up and down the entire greatest garden in the world. You have black settlements, black towns that were destroyed, and there's not any sort of <laughs> cognition that you know it, it actually happened. But Allensworth is a special place because of uh, Cornelius Ed Pope, uh, who wrote the legislation when Martin Luther King was murdered, and uh, Governor Ronald Reagan signed the legislation to begin to create the state park. But uh, as we all know, he's not living, and the town is not living. It is a you know a dinosaur. So we have to bring it back to life, as Ed Pope uh, uh, laid out plans to do so as an agricultural utopia. So yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, October twenty second in Fresno, twenty second, twenty third, and ironically, the equity officer for the United States Department of Agriculture, Dr. Uh, Dwayne Goldman from Washington, D.C., is coming out and going to be with us that entire day, I believe, at the West Fresno uh, Community Center. We'll, we'll be at the museum there in Fresno, uh, the African-American Museum of San Joaquin County, uh, where the history is, uh, to share what the agricultural economy for black folks was, is today and what it will be in the future. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, we have a minute left, and I think we'll we'll go back to you. Um, uh, let's see, Miss um, uh, uh, Briscoe, um, and you know, maybe to um, maybe you know leave us with um, maybe um, yeah, leave us with you. You have the final word. You know, leave us with uh, something you know from the ancestors uh, who founded this town. Um, you know, just you know, you can have the final word um, uh, regarding this wonderful um, rededication. It's really awesome. This Saturday, October ninth, at Allensworth, Colonel Allensworth State Historic Park. Oh, thank you, thank you, Kabaka, for correcting me. It was Governor Reagan. Uh, to me, we must keep the history of Allensworth alive. We must pass this on to. Uh, future generations. And I think all that our ancestors have gone through, it is the least we can do to keep this history alive and pass it on so that it does not die and to make sure it's passed on correctly. Because from what I see, sometimes at state cards, the information that is shared is not complete and some of it is incorrect. Because, you know, and you really can't expect them to teach our history because they're they're not trained in, in black history, and they didn't live through any of this. They didn't hear the stories from their grandparents about what our ancestors went through. So it is incumbent upon us to make sure this history is talked about. It's incumbent upon us to remember and not forget the ancestors and what they, they, what they went through and what they did in spite of going through all that they went through. So, like I said, this is where we remember, we rededicate, and we come to this part to pay homage to our ancestors and all that's gone through. Yeah, okay. Okay. Thank you all so much for joining us to talk about, you know, this uh, wonderful program. Um, And if people are interested in the the Friends of Allensworth, could they could they join the organization? Can they support the organ you know, support the organization um in any way? Um I did find the website. Um is that the best way to be in touch with you? If not, maybe you could um that let, let our audience know. Yes, that's the best way to contact us through our website. We are always looking for volunteers, we're looking for members because when we stand united, if we go to take part of the governors, this is what we want for Allensworth, it's better for us to be 10,000 strong or 20,000 strong than 500 strong. So we are definitely looking for volunteers. We are looking for people who, who have connections that can connect us and get us to the governor um, to get word to him about what Allensworth is made of. Uh, we have had a couple of people reach out to him. We have had a great response um, so far. Uh, but there's a lot that needs to be done at the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did right. get the visit, uh, the new visitor center that's coming up. Uh, it should be up in uh, three to four years. So that was a huge thing. So with that visitor center, we want to have professors come, do conferences, talk about mm-hmm. black history, talk about African history, to connect the dots so that the children of today understand who they are and where they came from. And all the contributions that not only African American, I mean African Americans came to the United States, but when Africans, when they came to Africa and brought us here, they didn't bring ignorant people. They brought engineers and mathematicians. African American Africans invented the English, the, the the alphabet. 
you know, okay. from animals. Well, Miss Briscoe, um, you, you're on a roll, and we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll have to have you on again <laughs> to talk more about uh, <laughs> about this this wonderful town and and you know and and the folks you know who you know those that, that those men you know that that established this 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 uh, town and like um. And and them sisters. Said, you know, don't forget them sisters. Oh. Please don't okay. forget the sisters. <laughs> okay, and the sisters. All righty. Yeah, I, I just like when I when I look at the history, I just see the men's names. But I, okay, <laughs> the sisters, Ooh, of course. Imagine um, the sisters that was driving them men. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, you all take care, well. and thank you so much. And um, yeah, definitely, I say sorry, sisters. Like, you know. <laughs> you know, mamas. <laughs> All right, you take good care. <laughs> Thank you. All right, peace and blessings. <laughs> uh, good morning, uh, Michael uh, Verdette, um, president of High Life um, O-City Productions. Yes. And, uh, yes. and Anissa Strings. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk about this wonderful um Wonderful program that's coming up this weekend. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so uh, maybe before I read your bios, um, uh, Michael, if I can call you that, why don't you tell us about about this benefit um, uh, this coming weekend and with these wonderful ladies of Soul Revolution, um, which is going to be benefiting um, uh, breast cancer uh, awareness uh, organization. Yes, yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Verdet, president of High Life for City Productions, and thanks for having us. Um, yeah, um, I wanted to put together a show um, supporting um, women, um, making sure that we really gave them the just to an honoring um, women, especially black women, um, <clears throat> that have done so much for so long in so many great ways um, to advance our culture and make us uh, better people in general. And, and um, so I, I thought of an ideal um, uh, lady soul revolution um, because it's so revolutionary, um, the tactics and the, and the um, ways in which the women have recreated our society and made us a stronger people. So, um, and then I just started putting the pieces together and I saw, Anissa Strings, and I was sold from the beginning. To welcome Anissa, it's my first time actually talking to her, but uh, mm. I, I got a really good uh, idea of, of her watching her video on an upright basis. She's amazing. I had her on the show before, long story shorter. Um, and so, yes, Anissa, it's good to meet you. Um, and also um, to grab some other pieces, some comedic pieces, some spoken words, so you laugh a little bit, cry a little bit, and of course the multi-talented Marsha Brogius. And the theme was was that we're going to give back at Highlight Full City. We're going to make sure that the women, um, representing the women, talking about women, uh, trilogy, how they go about doing life and and recreating themselves through this um, really challenging breast cancer ordeal. And uh, so it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and, and I find a couple of charities that I definitely wanted to to be practically use the uh, the, the funding. So for whether it be wigs or helping with co-pays or just prosthetics, whatever it was, I needed to see that real-time action being taken place as opposed to theoretical cancer research where the money could go somewhere to D.C. or 
Seattle and people not have the benefit. And these organizations are right here in the Bay Area, San Leandro, Fremont, Berkeley. So we're right. We're, we're keeping the money right here close to home. Mm-hmm. So that's the long and short of it. Oh, that's excellent. Um, can you give us the names of some of these organizations and tell us um, sort of where the concert is going to happen and how do people get tickets? Well, um, hers is the breast cancer, um, the number one breast cancer. I'm going to give them maybe seven fifty to a thousand dollars of the proceeds. Uh, we haven't determined that, but they're going to give us pink bracelets, and they're located in Pleasanton, and um, they're also going to be in San Leandro and Fremont. And you can go to hers, hers, excuse me, H E R S breastcancerfoundation.org and they'll show you all the different things about their products and services, what they have, the charitable programs, um, and then they give you all the analytics associated with it. So that is super cool. Um, Also, uh, in terms of uh, going to this Lady Star Revolution, it's going to be at the Historic Bell Theater in San Leandro. Um, You can go to my website, highlifeofcity.com, or you can buy the Tickets at ValTheater.com, that's with an R-E.com, theater with an R-E, and also you can go to Ticketmaster. So we're going to be like, we're all over the place where you can get the awareness and press a button and still be able to purchase your tickets for entry. So, yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you. So, Sister Anissa Strings, you are a bassist vocalist and composer from Oakland, California. Uh, you began playing professionally and recorded your first jazz. Yay is right. You recorded your first jazz al- album at just 13 years old. That was yesterday, right? <laughs> you received your Bachelor's of Music and Jazz Studies at the University of Southern California in, in 2014, where you released your first solo album, A Shift in Paradigm, featuring your single, Simpin'. Um, produced by Patrice Russian, great sister, in collaboration with SF Jazz, great organization. Uh, in 2016, uh, you earned your Master's of Music and Jazz Studies at Michigan State University, where you toured as the lead singer of the Bebop Spartans Big Band under the direction of Rodney Whitaker. You are fresh mm-hmm. off the release of your 2019 critically acclaimed sophomore album, Ways. And you've continued to tour worldwide with the likes of Duckworth, uh, Jose James, um, Candace Springs, and many others. And um, and all this is on your website, AnissaStrings.com. A n e e s a Strings, S T R I N G S. And uh, Michael Burdett, uh, you are you were born in Detroit, Michigan. So I'm really like surprised that you didn't meet Anissa when she went to. <laughs> She got her master's in music, but anyway, maybe you were in the day at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Mo, yeah. You you were born in a place where Motown um, sound, you know, um, was in, you know was pumping through your my head and heart because you were part of that that landscape. Um, in your bio, it says that you are a real fan, a real soul root of music, and uh, and you love traditional and and also love with the traditional values you encountered as a child in the Midwest. Um, it Takes a Village was a practical experience in black America during the 70s, and your neighborhood and neighbors all felt like family. Um, fast forward, uh, you still believe in the organic goodness of the world, and you believe humanity is expressed through truth, support, and togetherness. Uh, the Bay Area uh, is where you call home presently, and throughout your travels, you've seen so much love expressed here with the people 
uh, that we need to get back to basic, then start caring again. So you could tell us yourself um, how you created High Life Old City Productions um, and and why, as opposed to my reading your bio. Because <laughs> you're right here, you can say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to go to Anissa. And then we're going to come back to you, Michael, so you can tell us about your organization and, and what you do because you just churn out one big event after another. And now that people are, you know, um, getting together, um, you know, um, in venues, um, uh, indoors, um, how you've been able to keep people safe and, and you know, and, you know, um, and sort of what's coming up for you um, uh, after this particular production on the on the ninth. So, uh, Miss Anissa, I went to your website and I was just really um you know, I, I sent you an email. I was like, Oh, I want you to talk about jazz and mindfulness. But, you know, first you could talk about this instrument, the bass, the upright bass. I just love it. And you are playing it and you're so beautiful and um oh, thank you. And yeah, and how you know, sort of how did you come to your instrument and you know, not not I mean, you know, you might play the electric bass too, but you also play, you know, this big imposing instrument that how do you get it around? Like, does it have wheels? I mean, you know, like how do you carry it? And and you've been playing. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, that has been a long, long journey getting it around, you know. I mean, the bass <laughs> is uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful because, well, it's, it's, it's a two-fold thing. You see, the great thing is that nobody else wants to play it, so you get all the jobs, you see? <laughs> so, but, you know, nobody wants to play it because it's so huge and you have to carry it around. So, you know, you get a lot of work, but, you know, it's, uh, it's you, you do, you're doing some work. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I, it varies. Sometimes I have a case of wheels. Sometimes I just have to carry it. You know, my mom, when I first started playing bass in um, middle school, she, she got a, a hatchback car so that she could transport it around. So, yeah, it's been a long commitment. You know, you got to be committed if you want to play it. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's great. You know, sounds like you got a lot of support. You know, if your mom's going to go out and get a car so she can help her baby carry her instrument around, that's that's definitely, <laughs> um, you know, investment. <laughs> Absolutely. It was her idea. She wanted me to she wanted me to be a musician and this just happened to be the instrument that that chose me. I uh, came up mm. in Oakland schools and I wanted to play violin originally, you know. But you get to school and they said, Well, we don't have enough for everyone, so who wants to play this bass? And I was like, Whatever. I'm just here because my mom said so <laughs> And as soon as I started playing the bass, that was it. That was it. The teacher was like, Have you ever played any other instruments? I was like, No. Well, I just, I guess it chose me. That's what I tell. That's what I tell people. Mm, interesting. So tell us about, you know, um, you growing up in Oakland. Um, where, what part of Oakland? What schools did you go to? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm from East Oakland. I went to um, Markham Elementary in Hayward. I went to Westlake Middle School in West Oakland. Caroline mm-hmm. High School. I was in every music program. You know, the Young Musicians Program at Cal Berkeley. I was in Oakland Youth Orchestra at Laney. I subbed in at San Francisco Youth Orchestra. I did SF Jazz. I did Oaktown Jazz with Khalil Shahid. So I was very busy. Oh. I did all of the programs. And then I wound up getting a scholarship to USC. Um, and then another scholarship to Michigan State. So most of my schooling was free. 
And um, all because of the bass. I really can't complain about it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I heard you um, mention, you know, Khalil uh, Shaheed, Oaktown Jazz Workshop. Yes, and, and, of course, and of course, you know, you know, um, you know, Michael Morgan, Maestro Morgan, who just made his, yes. his uh, transition. Oh we got some like, you know, we're pouring some libations right here. We're talking about breast cancer. That's right. Um, you know, yeah, totally. You you have any stories you want to share about, um, oh, you know, some of your mentors? Both of them changed my life. Both of them mm. changed my life. Um, Michael Morgan, when I was in middle school, I did a performance at the um, the OUSD, like, headquarters or something like that, um, with the string orchestra, Randy Porter, and Michael Morgan was there, I guess, scouting for the Open Youth Orchestra, and he got on the microphone, and he said, is your name Anissa Homosawa? <laughs> that's my that's my birth name. And he says, I says, yes. And he said, well, how would you like to come to Greece with us next summer, you know? So I was like 13, you know, 14 years old. I was like, of course I want to go to Greece, you know. So he just, you know, he mostly you have to audition to be in the program. But, you know, like I said, playing bass, there's so few of us. I was the only person in um, bassist in the orchestra that time. So he just picked me. Next summer we went to Greece. So, you know, that was my first time traveling overseas and playing in orchestras. So. And he was very supportive of me all through, um, you know, my whole career, really, up until his um Timely passing, unfortunately, but he was just, you know, very encouraging. He he encouraged, you know, in classical music, people are, are very stiff. He encouraged me because I was, I was more animated, you know, than my, <laughs> than my peers. And he was always, like, you know, you need to be like Anissa and get a little more energy into it. <laughs> so I, that always made me feel good because I I I, uh, I used to feel a little judged by my peers, you know. But he was very encouraging. Uh, Michael Morgan was very. Um, instrumental in many people's lives and careers and mine as well um so rest in peace to him and Khalil Shaheed he was uh he he was, had been recruiting me for years from my middle school and high school he was like Anissa you need to come join Oaktown Jazz you need to join Oaktown you need to join Oaktown I finally joined and then um you know I started coming to the rehearsals and you know he you know taught me how to play the blues properly and you know he was very instrumental in my jazz education and black American music education and then he um he encouraged me to audition for SF Jazz, which is you know, high school all stars. And um mm-hmm. he I didn't know he, he was like, You need to audition for high school for SF Jazz. I said, Okay. And I didn't know he was gonna be on the panel <laughs> you know, audition. <laughs> so I walked in and there he oh, was, nice. you know, and he was kinda running it so I was like a shoe in, you know. So you know, both of those men were very instrumental in so many young musicians' careers. So they'll they'll be an irreplaceable and unforgettable for sure. Nice, nice, yeah. Wow. So, brother Michael, talk to us about you know being from the Motor City, you know, motoring across the country to Oakland. Now we got you. So, talk to us about about High Life O City Productions and. And you know it's Genesis, and you know talking about your roots, you know in in Detroit, you know which is like New Orleans. I mean, you got like a real distinctive energy there. Yeah, well, um, first of all, hats off to Anissa for just showing up and being the class act, because you know that's that's pretty much moving forward how I wanted this organization to be built with people like her, people like. <clears throat> the confunctions and people that were just artists and genuine and, and transparent and, and, 
and reachable and, and you know, having soul, you know, and meaning soul. And, you, and I looked at her journey, and, and that's kind of similar to my journey. Detroit is like a big open, right, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. A lot mm-hmm. of talented musicians, Motown. Uh, my dad used to do up on the corner with uh, Smokey Robinson. They used to be on each four corners on Woodward Avenue. Um, if you know anything about Detroit, um, then you get to go to the Motor City uh, Motown Museum, uh, which is now Barry Gordy Avenue. And um, just growing up with the narrative, you know, I'm not a person that's like the perspective is outside looking in. You know, I grew up in the narrative. I grew up in the, in the in tumultuous uh, after the 60s and the 70s and, and understanding the culture and, the, and what we have as valuable people. And so I never devalued that, and I was not going to exchange that for lack of, uh, of uh, uh, commitment to uh, culture. You know what I mean? I wanted my culture to, to stand tall and 90 degrees at my neck um, everywhere I went. So my dad was a pillar of that in Detroit. My mom was a strong black woman. She did and still is. And, and, um, and she just showed me that, you know, you don't have to lay down for anything. You always take charge of whatever you do. And so that's how the Detroit came about in the village concept and the uh, organic group was there prior to me, and they showed me how to live. And so I, I brought that forward, and and I ended up in Oakland um, because I just, you know, wanted to go west. Detroit's great, but it snows. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just a, got chilly, and I wanted to have a California experience. And I got out here. And I found a very, very uh, comparable, synonymous. We, you know, we had a lot of the same uh, cultures, uh, influences, and, and so I just kind of moved with that and gravitated. And and I came to a point where I was in social work and sociology and, and, and working with at-risk people and the population, and I saw the injustices and disparities of things. And so I had to back up off that because it was taking it too personal. And I ended up going back to school to see if I could actually get into something else and my degree transferred over into entertainment. I'm like, oh, so I went to this little side school, um, Chabot over here in Hayward, and um, I started doing radio and television announcing just like on a whim, just like see what happens. And um, I met a friend of of, 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 uh, Shock G, Digital Underground, and his name was Mike Webster, who was the original member of Digital Underground. So I got on the phone with Shock G, and I'm like, oh, will you do this concert? Because I'm trying to do this concert series in the colleges, and I want to be, you know, have all these interconnected colleges kind of like um, having this concert circuit. And rest in peace, Shock G, um, you know, we had that conversation, and, we had, and, it, and it fell through at the last minute. But in, the, in my travels, I started – connecting with different venues, whether it's the Warfield or the Fox or the Paramount. And I found out, you know, I can, I too can do this, you know? So I framed that around me and Mike getting together, starting Highlight Those City, Highlight meaning anybody's mental perception could be in the Highlight. And those city meaning open city, city, you know, urbanity, you know, being able to be feet on the ground, but head in the sky, you know what I mean? So that's why I kind of put that into, into motion and um, the next thing I know, I was, like, booking artists, and I had a really good friend of mine um, who's in the industry started kind of segueing into the Richie Riches, Be Legit, Anissa Strings, and, and uh, Georgia M. Ludros, and then I got Confunction, and then it just, just started to snowball, and I knew it was faith from God because I knew that, and I do believe in God. So I think about that there was things that 
were pushing me in a momentum to be not only part of a revelation and transformation, but also have strength and character as a black man in this society and say, look, we can do something. We don't have to always hide in this little enclave of like indifference that you can stand out and be, uh, be representative of, of what we really have as a, as a rich culture. So I put that into the work. I put that ethic into the work, and, and, and I, work, I work hard, you know, 12 hours a day to try to make this a reality for other people. I don't think about how great I can be at the end of the day. I think of how great Anissa's going to look and, and how great Marsha's going to look and how great Dana B is going to look and, and, and how we can bring this collaboration together to make perfection. And, and, and that's how I ended up um, uh, off the stage to the left, uh, paying attention to the stars and, and enjoying the show. That's how I got here. Mm, wow, wow. What a fascinating journey, um, you know, sort of moving from, uh, you know, social work or, you know, that kind of, um, you know, sort of taking care of community to, um, you know, to, to broadcast, you know, communications to um, producing these, these shows that also take care of community because, um because you know, through our culture and through our through our you know music and uh, other types of artistic forms, you know that's how we rejuvenate ourselves. That's how we heal. So, um, so you you sort of just sort of translate transferred, you know, what you were already sort of doing into another kind of medium. Yeah, yeah. Which which um, sort of brings me back to my, you know, my my question about. Um, uh, mindfulness and music. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. Anissa, yeah. is that you? Go ahead. Oh, that was me. I was just, um, well, that's interesting because, yeah, when I came back from my master's from, from Michigan State, I um, I had all this music. I was writing all this music, and I just, I was, I was, you know, just figuring out how I was going to, you know, live and work every day, you know? And um, I got an opportunity from a fellow musician who recommended me for this program, which unfortunately no longer exists. It was called uh, Mindful Life um, Project. And they worked in underserved communities, primarily in Richmond, some in Oakland, um, basically providing skills to youth to help them, you know, alternative ways to deal with anger, anger management, that kind of thing. So instead of detention, we're meditating kind of thing, right? And so this program, my, my friend recommended me. He was like, oh, my, Anita would be great for this, even though I had never I had never had any mindfulness training or anything, you know. But the program was looking for people like me because they had, um, they had people who had, had experience in yoga and meditation and mindfulness, but they couldn't necessarily relate to the students, you know. The you know where they grew up you know that you know you know these kinds of things so they 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 just hired me on the spot because <laughs> a lot of people would quit too because it's a tough job you know you come in there you are dealing with you know some of the roughest kids in you know in the school and you got to put them in a room and tell them to sit down and meditate you know what I'm saying? so it wasn't easy um, and um, you know they ask questions you know things like well how does this work and how does breathing come you know all these things. But it was it, it turned out to be very rewarding um, for me, and it just helped me change me a lot. I did that for two years. I taught at this program for two years, um, and so you know, built relationships with with you know children in the neighborhood, and 
you know, use my music skills to um, help these kids, to help, help them bridge the gap between, you know, helping them. How, how does it help you? You know, breathing, exactly. It puts time and space between action and reaction. You know, these kinds of things. And so when I started practicing, when, I, when I'm going over it, and so I was simultaneously working on my second album, Ways, while I was teaching there. And so when I was practicing and I'm learning, I'm, I'm kind of seeing these, these similarities and these parallels and, like, how music, and especially heavily improvised music, something like jazz, you know, it requires you to be in the moment. It requires you to be present and actively, like, you know, and that's what meditation mindfulness is. It's about being present in the moment right now. And, you know, in music, you have to react to exactly what's happening. You can't get sidetracked. You know what I'm saying? You have to really stay present and focused. So um, I was approached by SF Jazz to come up with a curriculum because they're, they're doing these school day concerts um, teaching in the schools where you kind of just do like an assembly. And all of the all of the kind of obvious ones were taken, like, you know, jazz and history and jazz and hip-hop and, you know, all the things, all the obvious ones were kind of taken. So I was like, well, how can I do something different? And I was like, well, let's incorporate what I've been doing for the last two years of jazz and mindfulness. And so I was able to, um, hmm. you know, come up with a curriculum that I could teach in an hour. Um, just kind of teaching students, you know, doing call and response, helping them see these parallels and teaching them jazz music as well as um, teaching them these concepts of, of meditation, of mindfulness, uh, a practice of just sitting, you know, syncing with your breath, with emotions, with sounds, listening. You know, just listening is, an, is a practice of mindfulness in itself, just sitting in your own body and just noticing sounds, even if it's not just music or whatever, birds chirping, just noticing those things helps you stay present in the moment. So providing that experience was really um, amazing to go from exactly teaching something totally different to what I'm used to, mindfulness, and then, incorporating with music and then teaching both of those things together. Um, it was really, 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 really awesome. So, yeah, I thought I'd see about that. <laughs> nice. Yes, nice. yes. So, Michael, did you have something you wanted to say? No, I'm just, I'm just like, a, I'm really admiring the, like the professional, you see how people get to where they are. They're just not just people who show up on the scene and, you know, life camera action. It's like, you know, people take these times to be charitable contributions and supportive and, and you know, and, and making sure that, you know, those people have safe passages from hopelessness to hopeful, you know. And, and I think that, mm-hmm. that that's that's a part of life that people have forgotten, the humanity part of it, the part of, like, let's, like, when I was, I was always told throughout my life, don't do that because you're not eligible for that or you're not able to do that. And these are all the reasons why you can't. And so I put that aside and found the reasons why I could. They said, don't do confunction. Because it's in the middle of COVID, and no one's going to show up. And we ended up doing two shows with over 750 capacity, making every, sure that everybody was safe, masked up, and not a single sniffle when people walked away. You see what I'm saying? So people will tell you things to, to misdirect you into to this abyss of hopelessness, and you, we have to keep churning out products and making sure that people understand this product is invaluable to, you know, to people's ability to be um, adept at mentally uh, healthy endeavors and being able to calm down in their, in their soul and the system, much like what Anissa was talking about, and being in that space in real time where, where people are actually enjoying 
um, the fact that we're going to get out of this and not uh, not that we're going to stay stuck in this in this um, in this space. And so um, when I put together shows, I make sure that everyone's safe. I'm on I'm definitely on location and I'm directing traffic and facilitating and I'm a worker. I'm not a I'm not a boss. I'm a worker. I'm like, let's get this done. Let's make sure these people are done. Security's here. People are being treated fairly, and and uh, everyone's masked up. And if you're not masked up, then please, you know, um, you know, be considerate of what we're doing here, so that so that you take the you know your lapse in judgment doesn't cost anybody um, their health, you know. And and I think that's that's important from High Life of City, and we're gonna keep doing it. We have other shows coming up. We have a Willie Barcena and a car full of comedians that's going to be at Yoshi's on just this coming Tuesday. Um, we have, uh, you know, Daz Effects and Chewy Gomez and Chi Ali and all that for a Halloween show. We're going to keep doing what we do. And, and the fact that we are here doing what we do now is, is indicative of coming, to, moving away from a distraught, you know, kind of um, uh, not relevant state of being to where we can all get healthy together and it is a village and we continue to want to build on the promise that we made to make quality entertainment and live entertainment and and i'm very proud of of what we're putting out there um, for the community now and we're going to continue to reach out we're going to continue to reach out to those those homeless kids and shelters that are not getting the attention we're going to keep reaching out to the underserved and we're going to keep reaching out to um to different communities that that may have some causation actions that they just they just are just finding out where where can we go to to find some solace maybe we can you know help promote some of these dance uh, troops um, that people want to see and bring them to this show so we're going to keep recreating um, entertainment um, from a from a base level so people can just say wow I didn't know that was coming I didn't know that was oh that's neat that's interesting. And, Oh, that's cool, you know, and they feel connected to us, and that's what I'm trying to always remember that no matter what we do, we're just going to keep trying to get connected to you. So, you know, we're you know, the people are not no longer feeling like, um, you know, social distancing is the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, do people mask at your events? Um, how how are you keeping people safe? Oh, we we do a lot of protocols. We keep a lot of air circulation going, which is really super cool. We run fans down at the base of the stage and at the corners of the venue. We make sure the doors are wide open. We make sure the venue has the protocols in place where we have people seated in different locations where they're not all on top of each other. Friends and family sit together, kind of a social bubble kind of uh, enacted Mm -hmm. kind of way. And and we're also, you know, we're, we're doing capacity but we're doing this smart and safely, and we're asking you to mask up during the concert. Um, you know, that's not prolonged. You know, hanging out, lingering. You know, you're in, you're in. Once you're out, you're out. And, and it seems to be working on a on a base level. Like you know, we're not really complicating, recreating the wheel. You know, we're doing temperature checks at some point. Um, and then if we're not uh, able to get everyone in tow, we're we're still very cognizant. Like I said, I'm right there. I'm at the front of the door. I'm not like off, I'm not off to the side or up in some box. You know, I'm, I'm making very sure that people are safe. And I think if everyone's eyes are on safety, then safety is the result. If everyone's eyes are aloof and irresponsible, then that's what you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's 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 excellent. You know, your commitment to people. Um, you know, um, having fun, but also being safe. Um, so, Anissa, I wanted to ask you if um, 
uh, like I told you, I'm having technical problems, and I couldn't upload your song. And wanted to know if you could give us something, <laughs> like a poem or a song or whatever. Oh, 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 wow. Um, that's <laughs> Yeah, I, I, maybe you missed that communication. I sent it to you, but it was early morning. <laughs> no, no, it was late night. You might have been. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely didn't know about that, but I love hearing about what, um, <laughs> what Michael said <laughs> about keeping everybody's face. No, you know, but I appreciate that for real because everything, like you, like, like Michael said earlier, this is our first time speaking, and... um you know, directly to each other, but I really appreciate everything. I just take time to acknowledge, you know, just what you stand for and what, what you're doing it for. Like, you just, you sound like a guy who's doing things for the right reason. And I'm just, you know, I feel like it's a time in, um, in the world there's a major shift happening, you know, and being aligned with like minds right now is so important. And it's just happening naturally and organically, you know. And um, I'm, I'm just want to say that I'm grateful to be aligned with, with both of you, really, because I heard the program before. The people you had on before were, 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 were some heavy people as well. So, you know, but, you know, being aligned with the right people right now is very important. You know what I'm saying? And um, mm-hmm. I just really appreciate people who think like this, who are community-oriented and community first and others first and serving. You know, because even as an artist, you know, I, I, I might think that I might get inclined. I might talk myself into singing something, you know. But <laughs> but even as an artist, um, I think of myself as a servant. You know what I mean? Because um, I'm, I'm providing a service. I'm, I'm providing a healing. I'm providing, um, you know, sound baths, sound ways, you know, things that make people, you know, not forget their problems, but maybe have a different perspective on their problems, you know. Or even just, you know, enjoy living the moment. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, we're, we're serving. You know, you, you know, all, all that we do is providing a service. That's what makes us feel like we're doing something meaningful in life, you know. And uh, especially at a time, like you said, when everybody's, you know, absolutely separated. You know, people like us were told we're not essential, you know what I mean? <laughs> we're all not essential, you know. I was so offended by that. I was like, "What do you mean I'm not essential, what? man? I was having all types of existential problems and issues behind that. Like, damn, do I matter? You know?" And, um, <laughs> oh, <good one. laughs> you know, so it feels good to matter uh, again. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the time when we need to sort of, you know, um uh realize that um the validation of the dominant culture uh, or the dominant discourse is not what validates us, it's what we we hold to be true and it goes deeper than that, you know, as people of African descent. You know, we've always been essential. That's why this nation is what it is. So like, you know, like what? Get out of here. <laughs> and um and that you are centering, you know, um, you know, uh, women and other people like men, because men get breast cancer too, but women are are the or the face of it. You know, during this month, um, it's really admirable, you know, both of you, and um, particularly, you know, black women um, who get diagnosed late, and often this particular kind of diagnosis is um, not, you know, something that we, people, women of of African descent, can recover from. So, um, so yeah, so, um, you know, 
you know, you're to be uh, admired for for lifting up this, you know, particular um, issue, you know, during this, this month because a lot of times the focus is not on our community. So it's really beautiful that you're doing this fundraiser concert, um, you know, for hers and others, um, organizations that are, you know, doing this kind of work um, because, um, you know, when you think about your breasts, you know, and you think about, you know, being a woman um, and and not having your breasts anymore, um, you know, that's a real kind of, you know, to wrap your mind around that, it, it's difficult. Um, so these organizations and people that are trying to mitigate that and, and with the essential workers like the artists, you know, helping us, you know, helping women and, and people that are challenged with this kind of diagnosis to be able to come through whole on the other side of it, you know, it's real beautiful and, and really important, you know, that we, we do these kind of things. So thank you both so much for your work and would love to talk to you again at some point, but I got another guest <laughs> Wait, hanging out, sounds great. you know, um, yeah, ready to join us uh, on the air. So I'm going to have to close right at the moment. Um, do you want to give your website one more time, uh, Michael, so people can get their tickets? And, Anissa, you can give your website as well. I mean, it's your name, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anissa, Anissa, you go, Anissa, you go first. Oh, yeah, it's just AnissaStrings.com, A-N-E-E-S-A. Strings, that's my website. It's everywhere, Twitter, IG, wherever you want to follow me. And I'm so grateful to be on here. Thank you, Michael, and thank you to this program for having me again. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, you can go check us out at HighlightsFullCity.com. You see all the upcoming events. See Anissa, maybe you get a chance to meet her possibly in a meet and greet, step and repeat. In other words, you get to stand up and take pictures briefly, real quick, in and out. <laughs> so uh, we plan on having a great night of entertainment on a Saturday night. We ain't going to stop. We're just not going to stop. If not now, then when? If not me, then who? Let's get it. Right? Let's just enjoy ourselves. Thanks for having us. We appreciate you, and we hope to see everybody who is possibly able to come out and want to get a little reprieve from this uh, COVID uh, <clears throat> variant and all this uh, associated issues, um, come out and have some fun with us. That's all I got. And what, what time is the concert on Saturday? Oh, yes, it will be 8 p.m. and doors will open at 6. Yes, it's going to be 8 p.m. And you'll see Anissa around about 8.30-ish. And she's going to be doing her thing. And, um, you know, when you come in early, you know, you might get a chance, like I said, to take a picture of me as well. So you never know. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. And could you give the address again of, of the um, the theater? It's Bow Theater in San Leandro. So just look up the Bow Theater, and you will know it's um, 14800 at East 14th in San Leandro. Okay. All right. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, and again, it was great speaking to both of you, and please, you know, feel free to let me know when you're up to something else, and we can have you on again. I will do so. Thank, thank you, you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Okay, thanks, Lisa. Take care now. Yep. Bye-bye. Greetings, Andrea Chun. How are Hi, you? How are it's you? so good to be speaking to you. I'm fine. It's been a minute. Wow, it's like two years since the last book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because it feels like forever since that exhibit, that wonderful exhibit at Moat, um, uh, that I where I met you. Gosh, it was so beautiful, and you still doing the work. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> we was girls together at your the Tyler Park. 
Gallery in San Diego. Um, its first actually, solo exposition. It's, hmm? it's it's in Los Angeles, actually. Oh, it's in Los Angeles. Okay, you're San Diego. Yeah. Based. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, let's see. So let me let me start again then. Tyler Park presents. It's <laughs> pleased to announce we was girls together. The gallery's first solo exhibition with San Diego-based artist Andrea Chung, uh, Chung, uh, featuring the work of New Jersey-based artist Deborah. Jack. Uh, the exhibition opened uh, back in September 18th, and it continues through this month. So um, tell us about this um, exhibit that's uh, inspired by Toni Morrison's book, Sula. Um, well, I've been making um, a series of collages for like the last year and a half, and it just kind of started off as um something that I was doing to get my brain, I guess, percolating to <laughs> finish other work. Um, mm-hmm. And it just became like a, a series of it on its own. It took on its own life. Um, I just didn't anticipate um, their being really popular. Um, I was kind of surprised. Uh, so I made a few series of um collages where I was using a lot of ethnographic photos of women from the continent. Um, that were taken by white photographers and distributed as postcards um, around the world. So I, I mostly find the images online. Uh, and a lot of the images, um, they're very invasive. Um, some of them, the women look very upset that their images are being taken. So I kind of um, discuss aspects of, of those things within the photographs. Um, and with this, this new work, for the show, um, I was thinking a lot about the relationships between black women and how it seems like nobody loves us more than we do. Um, and Sula is, is really about friendship. And um, despite all of the things that happen between the two friends, they, they love each other more than they love husband, for example. Um, And I know for me personally that without the support of other black women artists and curators, I wouldn't have the career that I have. So for me, this was more of a um, a kind of a love letter to black women um, who have supported my career and allowed me to be successful. Um, And part of that was also to include another um, black woman artist. So I've known Deborah for a few years, and she's also from the Caribbean. Um, and there was an additional space in the gallery, so you know I wanted to feature her work as as well, just to sort of continue to pay it forward. Hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. I mean, your work is like so layered. Um. Um. I mean, you've got like you've got this image, and then you have other you know um different types of uh things you know on top of it um sort of um it's almost like you're sort of giving us a history in in the work and uh yeah and it's it's really you know really really beautiful and and I just really like sort of the the uh the objects of of you know sort of like what you're drawn to um you know these mm-hmm. stories that you tell um uh, you know, because you talk about us and your stories. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I think um, 
most or all of them. You know, you're telling, you're taking, you know, you're telling black women's stories, black girls' stories, and uh, I mean, that's, that's all I know. <laughs> that's all I know. So I, I feel like I, I make work about what I know best. Um, so, like, all the images are of um, sort of like intimate relationships between the two women in the photograph. So there's women doing each other's hair. There's um, two little children um, whose faces that I obscure um, because you don't you don't have the right to see their beauty underneath all of that. So you know I'm kind of playing with the idea of looking as well. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I just um, you know like I feel like we are always at the bottom of the totem pole um, in society. So um, and but we also do we do the heavy lifting. We do all the hard work, you know, if it wasn't for black women, we would still have Trump as our president, for example, you know, black women really galvanized the vote. So, Mm -hmm. so I, it's, it's kind of my way of um, showing their appreciation for, for us when nobody else will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it, it seems to be, you know, really a thankless kind of, um, work extremely you know we we do the work but then like we definitely can't do it for recognition because there's no thanks (laughs) definitely yeah Mm -hmm. i mean like stacy abrams is a prime example of somebody who you know really did a lot of work and was just torn down by you know um, some media you know places like fox just just tore her up and She's a brilliant woman and a brave woman to put herself out there to to have to take that kind of criticism. And I think Michelle Obama is another example, you know, the way she was just ridiculed horribly um, while, you know, her husband was in office, you know, drawing her as a gorilla. And the idea that she wanted her kids to be healthy was a problem. You know, it's like just finding every reason to tear, to tear her down. So, um, you know, I'm trying to do the opposite and for once, you know, show some appreciation. And um, I wanted to really focus on the aesthetics and, and making the work beautiful in a way. And, and that oftentimes gets criticized in art. But I feel like, why not? You know, why why can't I adorn them the way that I choose to and, and make them, um, you know, beautiful and find ways to celebrate them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How was your reception last month? It was good. It was a different experience with COVID. Um, hard to know what was going to happen, um, but it was a good turnout. But it seems like every black artist in LA had an opening that night. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it was kind of gratified. It was really funny. Um, a lot of really great artists too. Uh, there's an artist named February James whose work I really love, and she had an opening. Um, Lorna Simpson had an opening like a day oh, before. Wow. So, yeah, it was just tons and tons of artists um, having openings on that very day. So I think the mm. next week everybody kind of went back and started catching up and seeing each other's each other's work. So it was a good turnout, mm. though. I had some friends fly in. Um, and my son got to go. He rarely goes to, to some of my openings. But, yeah, he was there. Nice, nice. That's great. That's really great. Yeah, I was looking at um, 
this uh, piece. Um, Sula never competed. She simply helped others define themselves. And uh, and in in the uh, in the piece you mentioned, um, you know, um, women or girls doing each other's hair. Um, uh, I'm not sure is is it Sula who's standing, um, or Nell and Nell who's sitting. It's not like specific to the actual character. Oh, it's okay. more just okay. speaking to just like the relationships of the women in the photograph. Okay. Yeah. So um, one girl is standing with the with the pick, and she's combing the hair of her friend who has really thick hair. And but the the thing that's really is like they're like blossoms. I mean, they're flower petals all around them, <laughs> which is so beautiful. Um, yeah, and. And and then the you know the leaves and other flowers and and then she's sitting and there's a flower in in the seated girl's hand and I'm wondering are these actual like the way it looks is it layered like this the actual image I mean is it because it's, it's not a painting is it mixed media or no? it's just all collage it's all collage sorry I print really? um, okay yes yeah okay. yeah I'm just printing everything on. Um, uh, a Japanese kozo paper, and it it has a really delicate sort of texture to it. It's a it's a really beautiful paper, and it comes in different weights, so some of it can even be really translucent. Um, and my printer um, really handles the paper well, so I print everything out, including the flowers, and then like hand cut everything out, and then just reassemble. Um, and then once everything is glued down, I go and um, I beat everything. So um, with these, there's not as much beading as I've done in the past, but like beading in specific areas um, of of each image, so like kind of adorning them. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean beading, like hitting the paper? No, actual beads. They're they're glass beads that I've added oh, beading. To, to the clothes. Oh, beading. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Wow, yeah, this, this is kind of this kind of art. You really need to like be there in the room so you can see it. <laughs> yeah, to see it's, all it's, of that. It's kind um, of small and delicate, so sometimes you have to like really be kind of close upon it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Because um, uh, another one of your uh, exhibitions that closed uh, um, that I, I missed, Colostrum. I'm like, oh, wow, really. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So we could jump back and forth. So if we could jump over to colostrum, um, I actually see the beads in that one. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, I'm really happy you you know you put the work on your website, uh, andreachungart.com. So um, tell me about um, you know since the last conversation was about um, breast cancer awareness month. Um, talk to talk to us about colostrum, and then we'll go back to um, the other exhibit. Um. Um, well, that series is um, based on like a conversation I had. I, I was doing a public art project in Nashville, and I was working with the health department. And um, there was a black woman who worked there who told me that she used to actually work in New Orleans as well. And when she was there. Um, 
she'd heard a story about how there was a hospital, which I think is now closed. I think it was damaged during Katrina, um, where black mothers who had their babies, um, they were asked to pump their milk. And then that milk was actually given to white babies that were born. And then they were given um, a medication that would dry up their milk. So their milk was stolen from them to to nurture um, white children. And historically, you know, you can look at wet nurses and how um, the majority of the wet nurses were were black women. Um, And it was just horrifying for me to hear a story um, like that. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who were born in New York and um, have complained about when they when they had their children that the nurses would heavily push formula on them as opposed to mm-hmm. encouraging them to breastfeed. So I kind of wanted to have that conversation and like the value of our, our breast milk and how um, we're discouraged from doing the, the very thing that our breasts were <laughs> made to do to nurture our children. Um, and even now there's a, I found an article about um, a milk bank in uh, Detroit actually that was trying mm. to get low income women to donate their milk so that it could be sold off uh, to white mothers. So there's this perpetual history of like using our bodies um, to nurture, you know, white children as opposed to being able to use what we were born with to take care of our own. Um, And, you know, just like if you can look at that and then look at, um, you know, Marion Sims experimenting on, um, enslaved women um, who has been called the father of uh, obstetrics, which he actually is not because before him there were midwives that black midwives, granny midwives that actually um, trained white doctors how to deliver babies. Um, And they would then sort of ban them for um, their practices and then tried to like um, sort of make them get certified under their new rules in order to deliver children. So, like, there's this long history of um, abuse and misuse of black women's bodies. So I just sort of was making this work to sort of echo that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just saw your text. You've got to go at 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a meeting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I it's was wondering, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, you're you're feeling better Um because um, you know, wow, um, you know what happened last week, you know, was <laughs> was really really traumatic, you know, like wow, cooking accident, yeah, <laughs> gone wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. So since we don't have a lot of time, um, I'm gonna I'm not gonna read your bio. People can go to your website and read it. Uh, <laughs> but um, so but you are but you are a Caribbean woman, you know, as well. And and I wanted you to sort of talk a little bit about, you know, how how that you know that diaspora, African diaspora context sort of shows up in your work. And and then I wanted to ask you this this poem that's a part of this exhibit. We was girls together. Did you write it? It's really beautiful. You know, to the yeah, black women. Yeah, my husband and I, my husband and I were tinkering with that, but um, yeah, I just mm. I wanted to dedicate the the show, and it didn't I didn't mean for it to come out in a prose, but it did. Um, mm. So yeah, mm. it, it was unplanned. I'm not I'm not a writer. <laughs> I run away from writing actually, 
But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was a conversation to just be inclusive of all women that, that we need to not um, – I think a, a lot of times that there's a class breakdown and I wanted to be inclusive of all black women. It doesn't matter if you, you know, grew up in the hood or grew up in Beverly Hills, like you, um, you have a right to be appreciated and loved, you know? Um, so it was, it was my dedication to all black women, wherever you are, um, whatever your circumstances are, it's hard. It's very hard to be us. <laughs> Um, mm, and I wanted mm. that to be acknowledged and, and for women to feel appreciated. Right, right. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Do you mind if I read it once once you have to go? Sure, go ahead. Or, or I mean, or do you have time to read it to us? Oh, I, you know what? I don't even have it in front of me right now. <laughs> oh, you don't? Um, oh, okay. Oh, well, I, I have it in front of me. <laughs> so... <laughs> So why don't, why don't you answer the question about um you know um you know though you are a San Diego based artist um um you didn't start out in San Diego you you've had a you've had a journey <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean you, you know you bring that all into the work you know um uh in your collage um you know in you know and and so you know your work is like seriously deep, <laughs> you know, um, you know like bringing in Nkisi like for real for real like from the Congo. Like, I'm, I'm glad wow. You love that. <laughs> no, no, seriously, you know that's how we like you know resolve you know issues. You know you, you know that's where the energy is. I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> you know that's that's you know that's then, then I know that you could totally read that. So I know you totally get it. That if you're from New Orleans, then. <laughs> You're definitely uh, mm-hmm. my kind of people as far as like figuring out the the uh, imagery. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk about you know, um, you know your your diaspora heritage and and how that shows up in the work. You know, um, your work. <clears throat> um, well, I think I've always started with making work about um, my family because that's what I can sort of relate to. Um, and um, sorry, my dogs are trying to come be a part of the conversation. Uh, oh, that's fine. <laughs> um, I, um, you know, I focus on I focus on a lot of things that I knew best, and, and my family was um, the biggest subject matter. But then, sort of expanding to try to understand the dysfunction or behaviors within my family, and you know, tracing a lot of that back to colonialism and just a lot of the circumstances that we find ourselves in are a result of of colonialism. So that's always been my interest. And I think that um, if you've been colonized anywhere in the world, you can sort of relate to the work. Um, And I say that because, um, you know, I have a, I have a lot of friends who are also um, first generation um, and they may be from different different countries, but we all have very similar experiences when it comes to um, our parents um, and the things that our parents experienced and how colonialism has impacted them as as well. So I think it's just, it just seems like the natural thing for me to to discuss. Um, And then, you know, I can trace back, um, you know, where people, where black people in, in the Caribbean come from, and they come from 
um, which now known as Ghana, you know, so we have a lot of Akan um, ancestry there. There's actually a, a pocket of Jamaicans within um, Ghana now, um, which I found really fascinating. Oh, I'd actually really nice. love to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, what part of what part of I, Ghana? I think they might actually be in Accra. I'm not quite sure though. Um, oh, okay. But I mean, you can trace some of the words um, in Patois that are like words that were used in the language. There's twee words. Um, some of our expressions, you know, are very much um, derivative of of Akan culture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems, uh, can you can you seems give us an natural. example of an expression oh, that you came up with? Okay. I think it's mm-hmm. more that like we talk in parables. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yes, it's like old things come in like um, in parables. Um, so that to me, that you can see the direct link. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, oh no, that was fine because you you yeah. you your art is in parables. I mean, you you tell stories <laughs> <laughs> like really. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah. Well, it is 10 o'clock, and I know you have to go, um, so I won't keep you. <laughs> but perhaps <laughs> we can have another conversation. Me. Do you have anything coming up, um, like uh, in person or virtually connected to um, this exhibition that's closing at the end of this month that people should know um, about? Not related to that show, but I'm in a show at the um, Cleveland Museum of Art. Um, huh? It's actually it's all on motherhood. It's it's me and Carrie um, Mae Weems, Latoya Ruby Frazier. There's a quite a few artists that are a part of it, mm-hmm. um, and it's just looking looking at motherhood as a whole um, mm-hmm. through through the lens of art. So um, that's pretty pretty exciting. I was really excited to to show my work with Carrie um, Mae Weems, <laughs> who's a really yeah. lovely person. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of stuff coming up next year, so 2022 is is pretty pretty busy. Um just doing stuff with like a residency right now. Um mm-hmm. and show at the Ford Foundation next year. So it's mm. it's busy but I'm trying to pace myself. <laughs> oh wow, congratulations. So the uh the Cleveland Museum of Art is that up through the end of the year or just up this month or it opens Actually, next week, I think it's the 16th it opens, and I believe it's up until at least next year, like January oh. probably. Oh, cool. So we'll have you back on. Are you going to Cleveland? Um, uh, is it going to be – are they having a virtual component to it or what? I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I can't make it to the opening because I'll be um, – I have to travel to New York next week. Um, but I'm not quite sure what, what other programming they plan on doing, so – but I'll keep you updated if, if something pops up. Okay, cool. Well, we can definitely have you on. If we can get Carrie Mae Wings, that would be hot. <laughs> 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 oh, wow, what a great topic. Motherhood, love it, love it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Andrea, for joining us to talk about your work. And uh, I'm going to share your lovely uh, poem that accompanies We Was Girls Together and uh, – yeah, we can talk about, you know, your work and this new exhibit maybe in the next time because I really like You Broke the Ocean and Have to Be Here. I'm like, well, what a topic, what a title. Like, what? <laughs> you Broke the Ocean. Yeah, black folks in water, right? 
<laughs> you take good care. <laughs> All right. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye. So we were speaking to Andrea Chun uh, about her wonderful uh, exhibit. Uh, we was girls together, and um, uh, at the the uh, Tyler Park um, gallery in in um, <clears throat> in Los Angeles, and uh, it's also featuring uh, Deborah Jack, um, Andrea Chun's good dear good sister friend. And uh and as I mentioned, she just she has this beautiful poem that uh that sort of opens the it's like a, her artist statement. And and she writes Um uh, we was girls together, inspired by Toni Morrison's book, Sula, is a series of large scale collages that celebrates the relationships of black women and all their complexities and displays Chun's gratitude for them. As Chun says, quote, our sisterhood, our love for one another is not always visible to the unfamiliar, nor should it always be. And she dedicates this exhibit to, and this is the poem, uh, to the black women who are dismissed and appropriated at the same damn time, to the black women who tell you to be loud, to the black women who are loud, to the black women who are made to compete with each other because somebody says there can only be one, to the black women who know your success is their success too, to the black women who hype the SH, can't say it on the air, out of you even if they don't know you, to the black women who are the mentors that they wish they had had. To the black women who check you when you need checking, but also when you don't need to be. To the black women you only know for a reason or a season, but formed meaningful relationships with anyway. To the black women who mind their own goddamn business and yours too. To the black women whose friendships didn't work out, but we tried. To the black women who make their own families. To the black women who know it's hard enough to make friendships as adults without all the rest of this BS. And that's me. She has she writes it out on top of it. To the black women who don't owe the world repair. To all black women and all black women means all black women. Uh, yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, so I'm going to continue reading what the gallery wrote. Through a variety of different mediums, Chun's research-based practice explores labor and materials in their relationship to post-colonial countries. The body the, and migration involved perishable and precious materials with strong underlying histories. Each piece in We Was Girls Together depicts ethnographic photographs, of different relationships among the women photographed as family, friends, and partnerships collage within a plethora of flora, shells, rhinestones, beads, and pins. In both her previous and this current series of collage works, Chun protrudes the figures present in the work with a protective barrier similar to the use of Nkisi from the Congo. 
driving pins into figures to give them power or protection, and various color beads associated with the Orishas that provide further protection. Continuing the sentiment of relationships, friendships, and love in the exhibition, Chun invited friend, colleague, and fellow artist Deborah Jack to be included in the exhibition. Viewable in the gallery window room is Jack's video piece entitled The Water Between Us Remembers. The piece is an allegory wherein memory, migration, and transatlantic slavery borders and regeneration are themes and flowers are metaphors for both the wounds of history and the beauty of regeneration. Viewers are introduced to a girl who is both ancestor and descendant here in the present and there in the past. Her journey begins inland, and she makes her way to shore to undergo a transition through time and distance as the landscape imprints itself on her body. Her impulse is to perform this ritual as a form of remembering and remembering, re-membering, what was lost, taken, or forgotten, traveling across visible and invisible boundaries towards the shore and the sea. And Andrea Chun, um, uh, born in 1978, Newark, New Jersey, lives and works in San Diego, California. She received her BFA from Parsons School of Design, New York, and an MFA from Maryland Institute College of Art, Baltimore. Um, her recent biennale and museum exhibits include the uh, Addison Museum of American Art, Prospect 4, New Orleans, and the Jamaican Biennale, Kingston, Jamaica, as well as the Chinese American Museum and California African American Museum in Los Angeles and the San Diego Art Institute. In 2017, her first solo museum exhibit took place at the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego. You broke the ocean in half to be here. She has participated in national and international residencies, including Vermont Studio Center, McCole Center for Visual Arts, Headland Center for the Arts, that's here in the Bay Area, and uh, Sco Scowahan, maybe, Scowagan, <laughs> or Scowagan. I'm trying to get this together here, folks. School of Painting and Sculpture. Her work has been written about in the Art File magazine, New Orleans Times, Picayune, Artnet, lots of places. And then Deborah Jack, who we have to get on our um, our radio show. We're going to have to get her on and maybe have Deborah, Jack, and um, Andrea join us in a conversation together. We was girls together before the show closes. So, again, thank you. Thank you for joining um, Wanda's Picks. And, uh, you know, tune in next Wednesday for a uh, live show. And if you missed it and want to hear it again, you can <laughs> you can listen to the show again, um, this show or others in the uh, uh, the rebroadcast um, or the archived editions on Friday, where we're replaying some of the some of the hits, if not the same show again. And uh, yeah, so everything is linked. If you want to visit any of these artists, attend any of these concerts, and uh, October is also um, Alpha Awareness Month in the state of California, and uh, the um, city of Oakland and Alameda County and the Ninth Congressional District. So um, remember the ancestors, poor libations for the ancestors. Um, this year we are not having Ma'afa SF Bay Area is not hosting a, uh, a commemoration. Um, however, um, 
you know, we should always remember our ancestors. There doesn't need to be an external convening entity to make this happen. So um, the uh, commemoration would have been on Sunday pre-dawn at Ocean Beach. So if you feel so inclined, you know, trek on out there (laughs) and honor the ancestors or honor them where you are. Take good care. Peace and love.